Welcome to the show. We are sharing stories with solutions from people who have overcome adversity and healed their life. I am your host, Victoria Johnson, teacher trainer for the Heal Your Life Workshop Teacher Program and the Heal Your Life Coach Training Program. You can learn more about me and the training at thetraining.ca. That's T-H-E training.ca. As Louise Hay always said, the point of power is in the present moment. So let's get started. Hello, beautiful listeners. I know I say this every time, you know, that I'm really excited about our guest, but I am really excited about our guest today. His name is David Richmond. He has an incredible story of overcoming to share with us. He is incredibly inspirational and has an amazing book out there called Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. And I'm already tearing up. (laughs) Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Victoria. I'm very happy to be here. Very excited to talk to you. Well, one thing that stood out for me as someone who I've had a struggle with weight my whole life, I am also very athletic and the battle between those two. And as I was reading about you and learning more about you, I learned that you come from a background of being overweight and of being a smoker. And now you do Ironman triathlons and endurance athletics. Can you take us from the beginning and (laughs) uh, just kind of lead us through that story of transformation? Yeah, sure. So I think transformation can only happen if you're like fully present of where you're at your point A. Like how can you change from one thing to another unless you really know where, what, you, what you are? And I didn't really know what I was. I had no concept. I was very observant, but not very self-aware or I just I blocked it out or I was in denial or whatever. But I didn't start to make the change until I kind of like realized, holy cow, like you're a smoker, you're overweight, you're not happy, you're stressed out. A lot of facets of your life are miserable. You're not living the life that you want to live. And I had to come to terms with that realization and understand that's my point A, because we can really play good tricks on ourselves about not changing behaviors because, oh, well, you know, I'll start tomorrow. Oh, it's just one cheat day. Oh, it's just like whatever. Like I'll just have a smaller piece of, of cake or wh- whatever it is. And I'm not judging. It's just, it's easy for us to to fool ourselves or to trick ourselves. But if you really take a hard look in the mirror and go, okay, who am I? And you really, really are honest about it. And then you go, which is a huge leap. Who do I want to be? Right. Then you can start taking that journey. And I looked in the mirror. I was coming out of a bad situation. I was overweight. I was a smoker. Like I said, I was stressed out. And I just said, this isn't who I want to be. And then I, then I, for the first time, asked myself, well, who do you want to be? Like, how do you want to see yourself? What do you want to live for? Like, what's your journey? What's your purpose? And I go, oh. I don't know. Hey, me, maybe I want to be healthy. Maybe I want to not be a smoker. Maybe I want to live long because I've got very young kids. Maybe I want to like, like not have an excuse to go to something like food or smoke smoking every time I'm stressed out or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I just started to make the change and really it even a couple of years into it, Victoria, I still had to understand the correlation between how much I was taking in and how much I was uh, expending every day in calories. Like it didn't even make sense to me, right? You could work out all you want. It doesn't mean you're going to lose weight. You're only going to lose weight if you take in less calories than you burn. And it's Mm -hmm. a hard thing to to understand, but that was just one facet of it. And so I think our self-image and the way we think about ourselves is a part of what can drive us. I don't think it it should drive us, but having a 
being proud of yourself or feeling a sense of accomplishment or really understanding how you got from some point A to some point B. That point B hopefully is a better place and you took a part in getting you to that better place. That I think is what attracted me to endurance athletics because I, like you said, started doing Ironmans, started doing endurance athletics, started becoming a little more healthy and just, it's just one thing led to another. That was, that was 20 years ago. One thing that I know from personal experience when you're making that journey and you keep falling back into the, like you said, the cheat day or the I'll just have this or I'll just have that is sometimes those feelings of overwhelm and and guilt that we get from being people pleasers. And I know that you have mentioned that there's been times in your life that you were so focused on what everybody else wanted you to do that you lost track of you. Did that did that play into it as well? And you completely nailed it right on the head because I was really, really good at trying to please others. I was really good at looking at, and I think a lot of us do this, right? Like we measure ourselves by what we think people expect of us and mm-hmm. then we, we become that, oh, my boss wants me to be a better employee, so I'll work harder. And then that... They'll give me validation and but right. But what I never did, and I think what a lot of people don't do is how about trying to impress yourself? How about looking <laughs> to yourself to be proud of you? How about living up to the expectations that you might have for yourself? We don't often do that, especially like you said, people pleasers, right? We're really good at hiding hiding ourselves. Like when somebody goes, Oh, well, I can't do anything but help other people. I'm like, Yeah, well, maybe you should try to help yourself first, too, right? Like that's not a problem. <laughs> you know. I know you can't see us listeners, but both David and I rolled our eyes there. Right. It is true that we so often we find our worth there and we feel that that is the noble thing to do to always be helping other people. And I was just thinking if I hear that explanation one more time about in the airplane, they say, put on your own oxygen oxygen mask first. I'm just going to die, but I'm going to say it. Put on your own oxygen mask first. Take care of yourself first. And it's amazing what you can do for others. I know that when I made that shift, I've been able to help so many more people than I could when I was staying in overwhelm and guilt and just exhaustion and unhealthy. And so you have a concept of middle of the pack. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? I have a feeling that you're like that personality that is really good at everything you do. (laughs) So middle of the pack comes a little bit uh, off off, uh, brand for me when I think of you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm only pretty good at the things I try. Like, I don't like <laughs> to fail. So I'm not going to try to do certain things that I like. I can't sing, right? I know that I cannot sing because I can't sing and I'm not going to sing because I don't do it well. But the middle of the pack is just kind of continuing to play off of that theme, Victoria, which is I feel like people that are super crazy overachievers, right? I don't care, you know, sports figures, news figures, historical figures, whatever. They're super overachievers. They could care less what anybody thinks and everybody's watching them, but they could care less. Then you got the other end of the spectrum where you got the guy living on his couch in his mom's basement when he's 40 years old or whatever that nobody's watching them. And they also don't care what anybody else thinks. Most of us, I know you're like this. I'm like this. Most of your listeners like this. We're somewhere in the middle, right? Like, yeah, I mean, honestly, we're never going to be like Oprah Winfrey, but we're never going to be the guy living on a on a couch in the basement, right? So we're never going to be at either end of the spectrum, which means we're somewhere in the middle of the pack. And when you're in the middle of the pack and compared to like doing a marathon, mm-hmm. if there's 20,000 people taking off in a, the Alberta marathon, right? The, everybody notices the very 
the lead group and everybody notices the last person that's going to make it across the line. Everybody else in between, nobody's watching, nobody cares. And that's really awesome because if you are not worried about what other people are looking at and you're only worrying about doing your best and how you feel about what your effort is, then just be there in the middle of the pack and do your thing because you can still win. Like I'm never going to win a race, but I'm going to start, going to finish way ahead of the guy that never started. And oftentimes I'm going to finish ahead of where my old self would have finished. Right. And so I'm always going to win. And who cares? I'm in the pack. Nobody, if I ever say I'm going to do an event, nobody goes, Oh, what was your time? Oh, how did it go? <laughs> right. They're like, Oh, why do you want to do that? Or, Oh my gosh. Oh, did you finish? Or like, Oh, how many days did you? Right. They don't care. And that's great because it's wonderful to know that you're the person that needs to care. Yes. And so, in the middle of the pack, I think there's this anonymous beauty of nobody's looking, nobody cares, but you're always going to know. I think that part of that beauty too is that we can really stretch. You know, when we're in that, we're, we're safely in the middle of the pack, we can try things on that we might not try otherwise. And like you said, we have that level of protection of not being Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, absolutely. you said it too. And, and, and like, like, look, if your boss, let's just say this, if your boss said to you, Victoria, I'd like you to put in a 20 hour day today. You might go, mm, I don't think so. If you were motivated by getting an advancement in your career and your boss said, this would really be like a one to one correlation. You work that 20 hours, I'm going to advance your career. You might do it. If they gave you money and you were motivated by money, you might do it. But honestly, I mean, if it wasn't the right reward for you to put in that effort, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't put the effort in. And I think that that's what we do to ourselves is we don't set ourselves a high enough goal. And if it's really important to you, you'll figure out how to do it. You'll find the time. It might not be important to somebody else, but if it's important to you, you'll figure out a way to do it. And that's by not putting ourselves first, we don't make anything important to us. Mm -hmm. So if it's becomes, if it, if you want to make it important to you, you will figure out a way to get it done. Imagine this, right? Your Mm -hmm. daughter is at school. You're in the middle of a busy workday. There's tons of traffic and you get a call from the school nurse that says she fell off a swing and broke her arm. Are you going to be able to get to the school? Yeah. Doesn't matter what's going on. It's important enough to you. You're going to figure it out. And so I just, and I'm not trying to be preachy, but I just applied that to this newfound kind of like, hmm, I wonder what I can do for me attitude. So what's going to motivate me to, to do things rather than trying to please other people? I am loving every word that you're saying. <laughs> And you're absolutely right. And that was such a great example. You know, if if something happened with one of our children or someone we love, we would be there. We wouldn't be saying, well, you know, it's rush hour. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I think I'm just a little too tired actually to get in the car right now. That's right. Right. I don't really want to work. I'll do it Monday. Yeah. We'll do it another day. You know, I don't don't really care about, I don't really care about having my daughter smile at me. I'm going to, yeah, of course you would go. But it's got to find that motivation. And and for me, the motivation was to say, okay, I'm at this point A that I'm not very proud of. And I'm looking at myself for the first time with a true assessment of who I am. And I'm saying, is this the life I want to lead? And I just wasn't. I I did a lot of great things. I, I wasn't a total failure or anything, but I just wasn't proud of who I was. And I certainly never looked to myself for validation. I looked to other people for it. I really appreciate you sharing that because that right there is gold looking to other people for validation. And coincidentally, the podcast right before this one, we were talking about that as well, where we put our need for recognition in the hands of other people and we may never get what we want. And then what do we do? We keep trying, we keep trying, we keep trying not to improve ourselves, but to get the recognition from the other person. 
And so thank you for pointing that out again. I think that is just such a great theme to carry forward from the last podcast to this podcast as well, is that please yourself, do what makes you happy. And I just want to summarize what you said there. If it's important to you, you'll find a way to get it done, find the motivation, get from point A to point B. Now I want to ask about point C, D, E, F, G, and so on. What happens next? So I feel like transformation is three parts, actually, right? The first part we talked about, which is doing a true assessment on yourself and being aware of who you are. The second part is trying to figure out where you want to go, okay? And in between some of that, there is a point of forgiveness. You got to just forgive yourself that you're starting on this journey. Like you didn't know. I didn't know until I quit smoking that I needed to quit smoking. I mean, of course I heard it. I wasn't stupid. I, I knew that I needed to quit, but until I really knew, I didn't know, right? Until I knew about like being coming athletic, until I knew about like, I could actually run for, for 24 hours straight or whatever it was that I tried to do. I had to forgive myself to say, well, you wasted time. You weren't your best self. You didn't make the best decisions. You weren't the kind of person that you could be proud of. Just forgive yourself. So, mm-hmm. but then the third part, for me is like leaning into it and trying to find out what you can find, what you can learn, what you can seek out. And those are all those points past point B. And that's where I think the true beauty in life is. Can I give you a visual of, of how do it? Yeah, people might understand this because it just makes sense to me. I lived my life for like the last 20 years having this kind of mental attitude. And, and you and I talked about it a minute ago about optimism, but I was doing this race. Imagine being on rollerblades and I'm not athletic. Okay. I'm not athletic. I'm on rollerblades and I'm doing a race that's 85 miles long. Okay. And for all of you Europeans out there, that's like 140 some odd kilometers, right? It's 85 miles on a ro- on rollerblades. Oh, it's just ridiculous. And it's hilly and it's windy and it's hot and it's just miserable. And I have no business being out there. Okay. And I thought, oh, I'm down this path. I want to be this healthy guy and I want to be athletic and I'm going to prove, you know, set my goals super high and, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I get to about mile 35, Victoria, and I'm beat. I'm, I'm literally, I cannot move. I'm dripping sweat onto the asphalt. I'm completely depleted of everything that I have. And I just, I go to myself, like, okay, look, David, you got two choices, right? One is you came this far, you did something good, but this is your limit. You found out everything there is to find out about yourself. Now just go home and go, whatever, pack it up, do your thing. And you found your limits. Hey, that's it. Or I can make one step. And if I just make one step, I'm going to find out something new about myself. And then if I make another step, I'm going to find out something new about myself. I got a higher limit. I have a deeper conviction. I have more ability to focus. Well, whatever it is that I'm finding out about myself, I didn't know it before I crossed that line, before I took that next step. I thought I reached my max. And so I feel like when it comes to, are you doing your best for your kids or for your spouse or at your work or to strangers or whatever, like, are you at your limit? Like, have, have you really, because if you have, then fine, go home, be done with it. But if not, you could learn and you could find out more answers and learn more about yourself and learn about others and how you connect to the world. And so I think the last 20 years for me has been that idea of when I think I'm at my max, when I think I've done everything I can do, I just try to go a little bit further, sometimes a lot, a lot, a lot, lot further, just because I didn't know that that existed for me before. So I, I think all those points past B is just all new points of learning, you know? Absolutely. What you have shared is just, to me, I can really relate to what you're saying. Just take one more step. Just take one more step. We're not saying that you have to snap your fingers and be at your goal tomorrow. Just take one more step. And 
when I circle back to what you were saying earlier about uh, when you quit smoking, you realized how much you needed to quit smoking. And there's that forgiveness part. And, you know, that forgiveness part, as my mentor, Louise Hay, would say, is part of loving yourself. You can't love yourself unless you forgive yourself. And, you know, she also used to say that you're doing the best you could with the knowledge and the awareness that you had at the time. And so when I think about this one step that you're just talking about, and you're taking one more step and one more step. And when you're on that 30 second step, you can look back and see all of those other 31 things that you didn't know when you started that journey. And that is exciting. And that's something that really fires me up about life. And it's not pressure, it's always growing. And it's okay to feel some fear and know you're gonna have to tap into your courage, but to just be moving forward. I want to move on to your book, Cycle of Lives. Again, you can find more information about that on cycleoflives.org. I do want to mention that 100% of the proceeds go to charity. And there's an audio book as well as the book is available digitally and on and paperback. Is that correct? Yeah, Amazon, yes. Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Cycleoflives.org. And this subtitle really hit me in the gut. 15 people's stories, 5,000 miles, and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. Mm -hmm. We talk about those one steps, one steps, one steps. That really is a journey of cancer as well. Cancer and recovery, cancer and, and transition. What would you like to share about that? Wow. So thank you. And I'll, I'll tell you the motivation for this book. And it's been more than just writing a book. It's been a a big journey for a number of years. But the motivation for it was that I was at that low point in my life when I'm on this journey to say, who can I be and what am I going to find out about myself? At that same period of time, I got a call from my sister who was already well into a wonderful journey, married, happily married, two young, beautiful kids, you know, wonderful job and great friends and just everything was wonderful in our life. But she had just got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so here I was at this point where I needed to figure out who I was to see who I wanted to live, how I wanted to live. And here she was at the same time, starting a journey to her death. And so it was really very dichotomous in our brains, but we were really close. We were able to talk a lot about it, about the emotional things. And I just noticed, Victoria, that that wasn't common, that people talked about the emotional side of trauma. It's becoming a little bit more common, but it's not, it wasn't common, you know, even five, six, seven years ago. And I started to wonder, is this something that's, that's more pervious than just like that I'm observing. And so I talked to doctors and I talked to nurses and patients, survivors, loved ones, caregivers, and they were all agreeing. I can get my kids uh, watched while I'm at chemo. I can learn how to get a better diet. How do I navigate the healthcare system? How do I find a better doctor? How, how do I get a second opinion? What, what kind of support groups are there? All of the tasks they're really good at, but they all agreed when it came to the emotional side of it, they just weren't able to talk. We all know that our emotions as adults are formed pretty much by the emotional responses we had to traumas, positive and negative traumas, but when we were kids. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to interview in a very in-depth way, a really diverse group of people, a young, middle-aged, old, cancer one time, cancer five times, didn't have cancer, but was a caregiver, a nurse, a doctor, a loved one, a survivor, just everything, right? All different types of people who either were, or in most cases, were not able to navigate the emotional side in the form of having hard conversations with the people in their lives that they could connect better with. And then I explored why that was, why did they self-isolate or why were they abandoned or whatever in relation to the traumas that they had had in their lives. 
so that maybe the reader could understand, hey, when I'm offering help to somebody and they go, no, I'm okay. And I know they're not like, ah, how do I ask them? Like, like how do I take that next step and go, oh, I want to form a deeper connection, but I don't want to say something wrong. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to f- make them feel ashamed or I don't want to ha- give them guilt or whatever all these other things are because there's so much that we don't know about what people are going through, what they have gone through in their lives. And I wanted to write the book to give a little insight into that so that when it comes to trying to form deeper connections with people that are going through trauma, we might be better equipped. Long answer, but that's what it was all about. I am so glad you talked about the emotional part of it and that we don't talk about that. Uh, Both of my parents passed away to cancer and Mm. I was their caregiver and I was incredibly consumed with, first of all, their care and making sure that everything was as it should be so that I could selfishly keep them as long as humanly possible. And secondly, dealing with my grief and my fear. And I don't know that we talked about emotions too much. I know we had conversations about funerals, but I never said, how are you feeling emotionally? And then just this last year, one of my very best friends in the world was very, very sick with cancer. And I was terrified that she was going to pass. And when I spoke to her, it was always, you'll beat this, you'll strong, you're strong, which are both true things. But I never, ever said to her, I'm afraid you're going to die. And I'm scared right now. How are you feeling? Are you afraid you're going to die? And why do you think that we do that? Why do we skirt those emotions? It's hard, man. It's hard to have those conversations. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. And we can kick ourselves after the fact. And we're all just trying to do the best we can, you know, most of the time, right? But mm-hmm. but I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where that exact same thing comes up where you go, oh, you know, why didn't I just take that one step further? Because and what it is, is like, you know, she's dying potentially. She knows she's dying potentially. And gosh, we don't want to wrap our brains around that. So we'll just kind of pretend like we don't have to talk about it. And honestly, it's not the worst thing in the world to be busy taking care of people in other ways. That's that's. A a really wonderful thing for you to do. But I think that that when we can to take it one step further, because I know, and I'm more aware of it, and I know everyone listening knows this, so I'm, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is at the end of our lives, right? We really only have two things. One, we're proud and feel close about the connections we made with our loved ones, or we have regret about the connections we didn't make with our loved ones. Now, there's a lot of people in between that could care less about other people or don't have loved ones or whatever. But I'm just saying in general, that I think that's a very fair statement. And so I just wanted to figure out like, how can we get people to start the hard conversations? And it's like, I have this guy, right? Let, let me tell you a super quick story. Okay. So he's a young guy, very a macho, surfer, smart, handsome, just all of these wonderful things. And he has this horrible, horrible bout with cancer, a surgery that might kill him. As he's being wheeled into surgery, his girlfriend says, dude, this is not my life. I can't handle it. You're on your own. Walks out of the hospital, leaves never to be heard from again. He wakes up. He's got, you know, 50 stitches down his stomach because they removed a you know, massive sarcoma. And he was like, yeah, the pain of her leaving was just as bad, if not worse than the physical pain. And he never took a ride to chemo. He never took a ride home from chemo. He always did it on himself. Why? Because he didn't want to rely on anybody. And I went a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little deeper when talking to him. He's now a great friend. But that 
being abandoned in the hospital by somebody that he had finally, finally relied on. It took him about 20 years to rely on that person because 20 years earlier, when he was a very young boy, he walked in on her, his mom killing herself, the ultimate abandonment you could ever imagine. Yeah. And he had one thing after another as a very young person where the ultimate abandonments, when he finally relied on somebody, in his deepest, darkest time of need, he was abandoned. Now, you and I might know him as this wonderful, macho, happy, go-licky, athletic guy. Hey, man, I'm in control. I don't need nothing, right? Hey, I know you're sick. You look sick. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, right? But until we know that there's something else there and we might not find out easily. When he says, no, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need your help. I don't need any help. I'm good. He's saying possibly. Dude, if I honestly show you any weakness, then it, you're going to abandon me and you're going to go run mm-hmm. away and I'm going to be left alone again, holding the bag, right? Yeah. Or I'm not going to rely on anybody else. Screw that. Everybody screws me or whatever he might be thinking about consciously or subconsciously. And so just knowing his story and how wonderful he was and, and eloquent he was in telling me the emotional side of that crazy journey is when now, when I know somebody is possibly needing help and I go, Hey, you know what? I'd like to help you need any help. And they go, no, I'm, I'm fine. I go, okay. Are you telling me you're fine because you think if you tell me you do need help that I'm not going to give it to you? Are you think that I'm going to make you feel bad by accepting help? Like, why are you telling me no? Because I'm feeling there's more. And sometimes that's a really uncomfortable thing to say to somebody. You're not being honest with me. I want to help you and you're not letting me. Come on, what the hell is the story, right? But sometimes we need to do that. And that's just one of the stories from the book that kind of can help teach us you know, a little bit, equip us, arm us a little bit better with with interacting with people we care about. And digging a little deeper with them as well. When you tell that story, you know, it reminds me so much of these beliefs that we form in childhood and I'm unlovable or I'm unwanted or people leave me. You can't trust people. These beliefs that come up and then we carry them forward into our adult life and they are often reinforced by another situation, like you just said, and that inner child in all of us really needs that care. The the people like you who are willing to say, hey, I'll stand by you and I'll help you go back to that place and heal there so that we can move forward and into healing today. I just appreciate you so much. I want to share one thing and then I'm just going to ask for some final words from you. I asked you what your favorite quote was and I love this. You said, I'd rather be an optimist and be wrong than a pessimist and be right. Yes. That's a good quote. I stole it from someone. I'm not sure who I stole it from, but I I do. What you said very early on is just kind of like manifesting where we want to go because you you believe in it. I mean, look, if you're smiling on the phone with a customer service rep, you're going to have a much better outcome than if you're a jerk on the Mm -hmm. phone. If you're in a bad mood and stressed out, right? It's just obvious, right? It's obvious if you put a smile on and we can't always do it, but if you put a smile on, if you if you think positively about something, if it doesn't happen, okay, whatever. All right, whatever, I was wrong. But I'd rather that than just walk around being miserable the whole time going, life sucks and I can't do this and nobody understands me and nobody cares. And but Because obviously that's what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Right? So why be, a, why be a pessimist if you're going to be right? I'd rather go, when I 
go to the store, man, there's not going to be any line. I'm going to find everything I need. Everything's going to be on sale. Like I'd rather go like, Hey, I'm going to positive. Like this 50 mile run I'm doing in a hundred degree heat is going to be easy. Like that's going to be no problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Why not go into it with a good attitude? So anyway, that there's where that, that comes from. Well, I truly believe that our thoughts create our reality and it is proven to be true by the life that you lead and the uh, optimistic attitude that you have and the can do and the willingness to try new things, the stick to And I love that you have done this with the proceeds going to charity, the book Cycle of Lives. Cycleoflives.org is the website. Check out the book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you get books. There's a, the audio book is available now. Cycle of Lives, 5,000 miles, or 15 people's stories, 5,000 miles, and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. You're changing the world. <laughs> one person at a time, Victoria. But if we, if, we, if we can motivate one of your listeners, isn't that a great thing, right? Absolutely. And help with the healing. Yeah. David, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to become an internationally certified Heal Your Life teacher and coach, please visit thetraining.ca. To be a guest on the show and share your story, please visit victoriajohnson.org. Thank you so much for joining us.